In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Her afflictions are beyond words. This is what Thomas Kempis said in speaking of St. Mary, that her afflictions are beyond words. And if I can put it in a more radical way, I would say that no one was afflicted more than St. Mary. We can say that no one on the face of the planet suffered more than St. Mary's sufferings. I know it's a radical statement, but that's what I want to talk to you about today. And we know that she suffered. I don't think anyone will argue that. And this is precisely what Simeon the Elder prophesied whenever she entered into the temple with the child Christ. And he lifted up the child in his arms and he said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. And we know Simeon's praise. And then a little bit later, he says that this child is destined for the fall and the rise of Israel. And yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul. So he tells Mary that a sword will pierce through your soul. And so if we think about suffering and this concept of enduring pain and affliction in our life, I think it's fair to say that suffering is not just a physical matter. We don't just suffer on the physical level. Suffering is much more than that. There's a psychological component to suffering. And in some sense, that can be much more intense than the physical suffering. And we saw that with Christ, whenever he was at Gethsemane and he was sweating blood. And, you know, we might think that this was just like an allegorical expression, but it's an actual physiological reality. Whenever someone is enduring such extreme stress that the blood capillaries around their sweat glands would actually burst and the person would sweat blood. And this has been recorded in the past just like a handful of times whenever somebody's going to death row, whenever they're about to be executed, whenever they're under such extreme agony and psychological stress and anxiety that the weight of that pain would cause their blood pressure to spike to such an extent that those blood capillaries around their sweat glands would burst and they would sweat blood. Now, I think we could also agree that suffering and afflictions and the pain that we endure is not necessarily about what happens to us on a personal level. It's not just what happens within our own individual life, but what happens around us as well, right? And I think we could even notice that in the creatures around us. If you have a pet, you know that your pet can sense your mood and what you're going through. There's been records of pets that would go and fall into extreme despair after their master would die or they would be gone for a while and they would be under such despair and such agony that the pet would actually die the very next day because of how much they're afflicted by the, the disappearance of their master. And we see that within our life. We don't really have to look at pets and creation, uh, but it's very obvious in our life as human beings, right? If you think about St. Rebecca and how she was tortured, you know that they brought her five children on her lap and slaughtered every single one of them. 
What do you think that did to her heart? It tore her apart. I think any mother would say, do whatever you want with me. You can torture me all day, all night. But don't touch my children. Like that's worse than my own suffering. And so, whenever we see our loved ones suffering, the people close to us going through an illness, under a lot of stress, that affects us in a way that like, also burdens us with them. We experience their pain as well. Father Jack Philippe says, to see someone we love in difficulties without being able to help is one of the bitterest sufferings there is. And so, if we look at St. Mary, we see that she was so intricately bound to Christ that she was crucified with Him. Okay, because of her union with Christ. Thomas Kempis, praying to Christ, says, When she saw you, whom she loved so thoroughly hanging on the cross, her thoughts were all on you rather than on herself. As if drawn out of herself and lifted on high, she also in spirit was crucified with you, though in body she remained standing and weeping at the foot of the cross. So St. Mary felt every affliction that Christ experienced. Every blow to Christ was a blow to her own soul. A little bit later he says, Every wound that Jesus received in his body, she suffered a wound in her soul. And whenever she saw those wounds bleed, she underwent a martyrdom. And so, in a sense, she was martyred with him. Again, because of her union with Christ. She identified with his wounds and made his afflictions her very own. And we can say that this was because of this bond that she had with her son. A little bit later, Thomas Kempis is praying and he says, I praise and glorify you for your infinite compassion with which you, as a loving son, grieved with your most sorrowful mother. She took upon herself all your sorrows as if they were her own and wept over each of your wounds as though they were hers. So, how is it that St. Mary was bound to Christ to such an extent that every wound that Christ experienced was a wound in her own soul. It's easy to say that, okay, St. Mary was bound to God because of this physical union. He literally entered into her womb and took flesh from her. But I think it would be foolish of us to reduce her union to nothing more than this physical bond that happens from the Incarnation. It's much more than that. In a sense, she made a place for God in her heart before she made a place for Christ in her womb. And God looked from on high and found no one else like her. Why? Because she was so pure, she was so empty, she was so humble that she was bound to God in that spiritual way. And she was bound to God by her love for God. Okay, And so it was her love for Christ that bound her to Him to such an extent that every wound afflicted on Christ was experienced in her own soul as well. 
So the extent of her afflictions were in proportion to the extent of her bond to Christ. Okay? The more you love someone, the more their, pain, their pains and their afflictions become your pains and your afflictions. That's just a reality of life. Right? Think of the people that you love in your life. What happens when they're afflicted? You experience that. Right? You identify with that. St. Silwan says, the greater the love, the greater the suffering. The greater the love, the greater the suffering. The more you love someone, the more you identify with them. The more you sympathize with them, the more you suffer with them. And we know that no one suffered more than Christ. Right? We can't argue that. But no one was bound to Christ more than St. Mary. No one loved Christ more than St. Mary. And so, no one identified with his pain, and no one experienced his sufferings in such an intricate way more than St. Mary. Okay, so, it's because of this bond that she suffered more than anyone we know. Father Thomas Hopkins says, No one loved Christ more than his mother, and no one knew him better than his mother, and therefore, no one suffered more with him than his mother. And don't forget too that it's not just because of her bond with Christ that she identifies with his pain and affliction throughout his passion, but in a sense, her bond with Christ binds her to humanity. Because Christ assumed human nature in himself, right? He became man just like every one of us. And so in uniting with Christ, she saw humanity in Him. Right? And so she saw all of us in His Son. So her love for Christ, her love for her own Son, was also a sort of love for us. Her union with her own Son was a union with humanity. And that's why on the cross, whenever He looks down and He sees John and St. Mary, He says, Woman, behold your Son. So John, just an ordinary person, takes place of her son, so that the rest of humanity could identify with John in that same way. So that she becomes a mother, not just to John, not to just one ordinary person, but to all of us. So we have the very same place in her heart that Christ has. And that's just a beautiful concept, right? Just as He told her to... Put John in his place. To make John her very own son, he's telling her to take all of humanity as her children as well. And so when she sees our afflictions, she's also broken. Right? And so she suffers with the rest of humanity because of her union with all of humanity. Because of her love and her sympathy for all of humanity. Father Thomas Hopkins says, So Mary not only suffers with Christ, she suffers with every Christian. Not only every Christian, she suffers with every human being. She's close to every human being on the planet, interceding, praying, suffering, bearing, showing compassion. And we even sing in our church, there's no mere mortal more compassionate, more prayerful, more interceding, more caring about us than Christ's own mother, Mary. And she has for us, the very same care that she had for her own son, Jesus Christ. Imagine that. And so, you put that all together, 
we realize how much she endured out of her love for Christ, how much she was afflicted and sympathized with us as well. Right? But we can say, that's great. No one suffered more than St. Mary. Fine. That's nice to know. But what's the big deal? Right? Why does that matter for us? Well, I would start by the implication that has for us. That for us to walk in her footsteps, for us to identify with her, right? for us to do the will of God, and we read in the morning this Gospels passage that Christ says, whoever does God's will is my brother, my sister, and my mother. Right? For us to be like St. Mary, to be just like her whole life modeled, is for us to walk in those very same footsteps, to be afflicted with her, to suffer with her, to endure with her, right? We're all expected to walk through the fire in life, okay? There's no one exempt from trials and tribulations, okay? Suffering is inevitable. It's absolutely inevitable, In Acts 14.22, the scriptures tell us we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Not, we may, or it's possible that we'll have to go through tribulations. No, we must. And not just one or two tribulations, not just a couple of tribulations, not a few tribulations, but many tribulations. We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. So do we really accept that reality? Do we accept that the road to the kingdom of God is a road of afflictions, a road of pain, a road of suffering? Or do we try to sugarcoat the reality of our life? Right? Do we consider suffering the norm? Or is it something strange whenever we encounter? Right? Do you, do you think that It's strange to have difficulties in life and tribulations in life. And the way that you live your life will speak for what you believe. Right? Whenever you're uncomfortable, do you try to just run away from it? Whenever there's a challenge, whenever there's any pain, do you just run away from it? Or do you try to face it and accept it as a reality of life that you have to embrace and deal with it? Right? Like, whenever... We're hot. What's the first thing we do at home? We change the thermostat, put the AC on, whatever, right? And in my house, if you see how our dynamic is with my wife, then we're going to have a nice little discussion about how much I can turn down the AC because my wife's always hot, I'm always cold, so we're going to have to compromise. But one of us is going to have to sacrifice and suffer a little bit, okay? And usually I just have to convince her to put on a few more jackets because... I can't take any more layers off. So we're going to have to just turn on the AC and you put on a few more jackets. But that's the way we live. Whenever we're uncomfortable, we try to get comfortable. That's that's not a problem. I'm not saying there's any evil in that. But what happens whenever that's the essence of our mindset? What happens whenever this is like, the essence of our attitude as we walk through life. Anytime there's inconveniences, anytime there's a little problem, 
whenever I have to suffer a little bit to serve or to sacrifice a little bit of time here, and I say, ah, that's going to be inconvenient, that's going to bother me, that's going to be too much trouble, then I, I try to escape from those situations, or at least try to evade those afflictions and try to work my way around them. And if I do that, I forsake the blessings that come from the cross. I forsake the path that St. Mary walked. Why? Because that path is sacred. Not only is it necessary to walk through that path, but that path is sacred. It's holy. And it's holy because Christ himself consecrated it. Right? We would say, like if Christ walked into this church, and then he touched that chair right there and then walked out, what do you think we would do with that chair? Like we'd put it on a pedestal, glass case, put it up here in the front, and like anybody would come and prostrate. Like this church, this chair is like basically a relic in the church, right? And we consider it holy because Christ touched it. Christ touched suffering. He touched pain. He touched afflictions. He touched inconveniences. He made it sacred because he walked that path. So that path is precious. St. Silwan says, The Son of God suffered in the flesh. Such suffering is the ultimate example that the Christian is called to emulate. The sufferings encountered in a spiritual path are thus to be seen as opportunities for sharing in the life of Christ. So we're bound to Christ, and if we're bound to Christ, we suffer with Him, we share in His afflictions, and we share in His very own life. This is exactly how St. Paul understood it. In Colossians 1.24, he says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up in my flesh what's lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of His body, which is the church. And that's interesting because... He says that I fill up in my flesh what's lacking in the sufferings of Christ. What's lacking in the sufferings of Christ? Is the cross incomplete? Did he cut some corners? Is there anything lacking in it? No. But the sufferings of Christ, the afflictions of Christ, find their completion in as much as I participate in them. If I don't participate in them, then... They serve no purpose. They're incomplete. Because Christ didn't suffer and die and rise for His own sake. He's the source of life. He didn't need to redeem Himself. He did that to redeem us. So if I don't utilize that grace, it's in vain. That's why St. Paul says, I am who I am by the grace of God. But His grace towards me was not in vain. But I labored much more than they. So he even says that the grace of God could have come in vain. It could have been a waste. Just incomplete, right? And so I fill up in my flesh what's lacking in the afflictions of Christ by participating in that path, walking in that path. Anytime you find a little inconvenience in your life, do you consider it a path of sanctity? Like when you're at home and you're tired and your brother, your sister, your mom just tell you, hey, can you... Help me clean up the plates on the table. Or, hey, can you take out the trash? Or just grab me a cup of water. Like, ah, that's so inconvenient. (laughs) I'm tired, I just want to rest for a little. And we think that suffering has to look like 
what St. George did in the 4th century. That's not the way it works. Anytime we're just willing to sacrifice a little bit of energy, a little bit of time, we're suffering in that way. That's how we fill up in our flesh what's lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Okay, and we have to consider the sanctity of this path. The saints considered themselves unworthy of this path. They considered themselves unworthy. What happened whenever St. Peter was captured and tortured and, and was going to be martyred? They were going to crucify him. He said, I don't deserve that. There's no way. I can be crucified the same way that my Lord and Savior was crucified. I don't deserve that. So he insisted on crucifying him upside down. And we complain about this gift. And it is a gift. It's not enough to say that suffering is not bad. It's not enough to say that suffering is not evil. That's not enough. We have to say that suffering is a gift. Philippians 1.29 says, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. And by the way, that's a terrible translation. St. Paul says, It's been granted not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. But the Greek word here is, Icharisthe. Not that it's been granted, but Icharisthe is... It has been gifted. That word ikharisthe comes from the Greek word for charis. Does that sound familiar? Charis is the word for grace. So it has been gifted to you. It has been given as a grace, not only to believe in Him, but to suffer for His sake. Do we consider every cross, every burden, every inconvenience in our life as a gift of grace? I don't know about you, but that's not always how I see it. But if we walk in the footsteps of the saints, and especially Saint Mary, then we use our spiritual eyes to recognize the beauty of that path, the sanctity of that path. And it's precisely the path that will save us. What is it that saved the people in the wilderness whenever they were bitten by the snakes? Like these serpents came... And started biting everybody and killing everyone. So you would expect that something would come and eliminate the poison, the snakes, right? Eliminate what's killing them. But God used the very same thing that was killing them to save them. He told Moses, lift up the serpent on this bronze pole. And whenever someone looks at it, they'll be healed. Every little inconvenience in your life, every little tribulation, every little pain and affliction is what will save you. That's your bronze serpent. Look to it. Find Christ in it. Follow in the footsteps of St. Mary as she walked on that very same path. And if we reject that path, if we don't really believe in its value, suffering becomes unbearable. It becomes Worse than what it is at face value. Father Jacques Philippe says the most painful suffering is the suffering we reject. The most painful suffering is the suffering we reject. Let me just explain it to you in a very simple 
analogy. Let's say on one hand here you have like one ounce of suffering. Over here you have, I don't know, a hundred ounces of suffering. Okay, so on the first hand, let's say you have an annoying boss at work. Like your manager is just driving you crazy. That's just one ounce of suffering. On this other hand, you have cancer. It's killing you, destroying your body, and you feel alone, you feel isolated, you're depressed, you can't even walk to the bathroom on your own. Okay? What's worse? We're all often inclined to say, this example, this side right here, the cancer. But what the fathers tell us is, what will break you more is what you refuse to accept. For one person, maybe walking this path of carrying this cross of cancer, maybe they meet it with joy, faith, humility, prayer, and embrace. And so for that person, it's a pleasant walk. They find Christ in it. Whereas this person, on the other hand, just has a frustrating manager, is full of anxiety and stress, losing sleep, all because he just can't come to terms with God's work in this situation in his life. And so he's actually not any better off than this person dealing with cancer. Right? So you could say that the person with this frustrating manager is suffering more than the person dealing with cancer. So the weight of our burdens is always measured by the extent of our embrace. If you embrace, you suffer less. If you accept and embrace the cross, you suffer less. That's why St. John Marie of Vianney says, peaceful suffering is no longer suffering. Peaceful suffering is no longer suffering. That's why faith is so critical. If you truly believe that God is working through this, if you truly believe that suffering is a source of your sanctification, that it's valuable, then you approach it with faith. You approach it with hope. You approach it with a spirit of cheer. The same way all of the saints approach their sufferings. A lot of times we think that we just have to deal with it and then we'll find some joy and comfort. You know, we carry the cross and then there's the resurrection. That's the worst way to look at it. It's not like a two-step process. But we find the joy and the comfort in the cross. We celebrate the lives of the three holy youth in this church, right? When did they meet Christ? Was it after they walked to the fire and then Christ pulled them out? He said, okay, now that you suffered for a little, time for the joy and the comfort and the celebration. So let's pull you out of the fire and then we can take a stroll through the park and enjoy our time. No. He entered the fire with them. And, and the tribulation, the fire, the cross itself became sweet and pleasant. Right? And that's why they rejoiced. While they were in the fire, it became like a cool mist. And they saw Christ face to face in the fire. Because of their faith. Whenever they were going to get tossed in the fire, 
They said, if we die, we die. If God saves us, glory be to God. But it doesn't matter. Our life's in His hands. Pure faith. And that's why they found Him in the fire. Right now, I'm not going to take much longer. I know I've been talking for quite a while. So I just want to leave you with a few practical ways to really apply this. Okay, so if you think of the way we can apply this in our life, on an interpersonal level, we can apply this by the way we sympathize with our brothers and our sisters. And we could also apply this in the way that we communicate with God in our prayer life, and also in the way we just walk through the circumstances and the inconveniences of life in general. All right, so these three practical ways to apply this concept in our sympathy with others, our prayer life, and our patient endurance as we walk through life and we encounter different circumstances in our life. If we love God, if we love Christ, then we love His body. We love every member in the church and out in the world. We see Christ in every person. So we're not just willing to suffer with Christ in the spiritual way, but we do that by suffering with our neighbors, by walking in the afflictions of our neighbors. And so, St. Isaac the Syrian says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Such is the sign of purity. Suffer with the sick. Be afflicted with sinners. Exalt with those who repent. Spread your cloak over the man who's falling and cover him. If you can't take upon yourself his sins and receive his punishment in his place, then at least patiently suffer his shame and do not disgrace him. So the ideal is to actually take your brother's place whenever your brother is suffering. That's the ideal. But if you can't, at least walk with him. So there's a story where a couple of monks were sent out into the market to grab some groceries for the monastery. So when they got to the market, they said, let's go off our separate ways. And each one of us will grab what we need and go back to the monastery together. And so the first person went out, just went straight to the place to purchase the groceries, like stayed on course, didn't wander, grabbed what he needed, and came right back to where they were supposed to meet. The other monk, on the other hand, went out, and he started to stray. He wandered a little bit, and he fell into a terrible sin. And after he fell into the sin, he was so ashamed and embarrassed, he didn't even want to walk back to see the other monk, but he just dragged himself over and he said, Listen, there's no way I can go back to the monastery. I fell into this terrible sin. I'm ashamed, I'm embarrassed, like, I'm not a monk. I don't consider myself a monk. There's no way I can go back. How do you think his brother responded? He said, wait, you fell into this sin? I actually fell into the very same sin, but I was too ashamed to mention it. I'm so glad that you were the first to say it. Let's both go back together and fast and pray and repent and confess to our spiritual elders so that he can guide us and help to restore us back to the monastic life. And that's exactly what he did. He went back with his brother and walked with him 
throughout every step of the way to really recover. Right? That's what it means to sympathize with each other. That's what it means to carry each other's burdens. Not to say, Malish da'wah. That's what happened to you. I'm going to live my life and do my own thing here. And whenever you work it out, let me know. If we want to walk in the footsteps of St. Mary, who suffered with Christ and bears the afflictions of all humanity, then we start by sharing the afflictions of our brothers and our sisters. And I told you that this is a very simple, practical way to apply like any inconvenience that you encounter. Like every once in a while I go home and it's late and I see a few dishes in the sink and last thing I want to do is just like clean up or whatever. I just want to go home, say a, a prayer and just put my head down and sleep. But I know my wife Marina loves to have a clean house. Like I'm the messy one, I'm always dirty and my stuff is never really organized. But I know she likes to keep the house nice and clean. And so I'm always faced with this situation to make a decision whether I'm going to inconvenience myself and suffer a little bit and stay up for a few more minutes to do a little bit of work so that I can save her the trouble of doing that the next day. Or I say, Malish Dawa. <laughs> just go, say prayer, sleep, call it a night. But think about how you can apply this in practical ways in your own life. Okay, the second practical way to apply this is just in our prayers. Prayer, by definition, is an act of sacrifice. Prayer is hard work. You go to the monastery and you ask the monks, what's the hardest work you have to do here? They'll tell you, prayer. Really? Prayer? Aren't you like professionals, experts in prayer? Yeah, it's the hardest work. Even the monks will tell you that. Why? Because of the amount of sacrifice it requires. St. Isaac the Syrian said, We should pray with suffering and we should make supplication to God for all these things with pain. And this is the attitude we should have towards all human beings. We should pray for them with suffering as for ourselves. Prayer is real sacrifice. It takes time, it takes energy, it takes work. Think about Moses whenever Joshua was going to face Amalek and fight his army in his battle. What did he do? He wanted to help out, right? Moses wanted to help out. So what did he do? Did he put on some armor and go to battle and help out Joshua? No, he went in the opposite direction. And you think, you know, that's quite cowardly, but he actually went up the hill, up this little mountain, and stood there lifted up his arms and started praying. And so as he started praying, what happened? He started to get a little tired. Why? Because prayer is work. But did he quit? No. He called for Aaron and Ur to come by him, lift up his arms, and to support him while he's praying. What does this look like whenever he's standing here and he's leaning up against this rock and Aaron and Ur lifting up his arms? What does this look like? It's the cross. So this act of prayer is a crucifixion. It's a real sacrifice. It's a burden. It's work. And as he was praying, Joshua was prevailing. When he got tired and his arms started to drop, what happened? 
Amalek was prevailing. And he continued and is persevering throughout the whole night until Joshua defeated Amalek's army. Do we pray for the world? Do we pray for our brothers and our sisters? Not just when we come out here in church whenever it's a little bit easier and we have the Spirit working and rejuvenating us and energizing us, but like whenever we're home and we're tired and we just want to sleep. Here it's easy. We're all together and we're rejoicing, we're celebrating. Like it's all excited. We go home and it's time to pick up my igbeya and say, That's work. But that's what it means to be afflicted with each other, to sympathize with each other. And finally, we can do this just by our patient endurance as we walk through life. Okay, so our life is full of inconveniences, it's full of troubles. We don't have to really go out of our way to serve each other. A lot of times, we can do that just by our patience. And if you can, yes, go out of your way to help each other, but at least just endure with faith. Remember, whenever St. Anthony began his monastic life, a lot of disciples started to to join him, to live with him. And St. Paul, the simple, went to live with St. Anthony to be his disciple. In the first few days, he didn't really know what was going on. He didn't know what to do. He didn't understand what the monastic life was all about. But somebody comes who's demon-possessed, and he's expecting St. Anthony to perform this exorcism. And so St. Anthony tells St. Paul, I want you to go down and cast him out. And St. Paul's like, Bro, I just got here. Like, <laughs> I don't know the first thing about exorcisms. I've been like two days on the job. Maybe you do this one. I'll take some notes. And then after a little bit, I can get the hang of it. And then I'll do the one after. He's like, no, you go and cast him out. He's like, all right. So he goes down. And he sees this man, demon-possessed. And he says, I don't know. I guess the demons fear the name of Christ. So he shouts out to this man, I command you. By the power of the Lord's name, Jesus Christ, come out of him. And then the devil just laughs at him. He's like, I know Christ. I don't know you. I don't have to listen to you. And he's like, all right, I don't know what to do. But I know the demons fear St. Anthony. So I guess I can use the name of St. Anthony. So I command you by the name of Christ and the name of St. Anthony, whom the demons fear, I command you to come out. And again, he just laughed. He said, I know Christ, I know St. Anthony, but I don't know you. I don't have to listen to you. And you know that at this time, it's like the blazing heat of the, of the desert, right? It's like 130 degrees and scorching hot. And, you know, they have these like little thin leather sandals on their feet. It doesn't really do much. But he's standing out in the scorching heat, like the blazing hot sand he says, you know what? I'm not going anywhere until you come out. Because my father instructed me to come and cast you out. So I'm not going to budge until you come out. And he stood there 
from the beginning of the day until the very end. Hour after hour after hour, and his feet are bleeding and blistering. And then finally the devil says, by your perseverance, you've defeated me. And he cast him out. If we can go out of our way to love and to serve, then we meet the ideal. But let's at least endure. Let's at least bear the afflictions that life throws our way. To just be patient. To, to stand firm in our faith. Whenever we have inconveniences, whenever there's a lot of stress in our life, to just wait on the Lord. To say, Lord, I trust you. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to continue to pray. And that requires real sacrifice. It requires an offering of love. But by the grace of God, we do that and we follow in the footsteps of St. Mary and we glorify Him to whom is the glory forever and ever. Amen.